Well, let me invite you to get your Bibles open. If you are using a Bible from the pew, it is page 544. If you have your own Bible, can you open that up to Proverbs 22? We're going to be looking at verse 6. We're coming to the end of our summer series called Twisted Scriptures. And what we've been trying to do is to straighten out verses that are known by most yet misunderstood by many. And to today's verse, you already heard that in that video, today's verse is found Proverbs 22, verse 6. Here's what it says. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, in its twisted form, when people twist this, there's a formula that emerges, and it goes like this. You can see it on the screen. Right parenting equals children walking with the Lord even when they grow up. That's how this is taken. This is how it is commonly twisted. So how I parent, now listen to this, how I parent determines, got to key that word in, determines how my child will do with God. And if my child turns away from God, then I must have failed in my parenting. So you can see the grief, you can see the guilt, and many of us have experienced our children walking away from the Christian faith. You know the guilt, you know the grief that sometimes you can feel if our parenting skills seem to be the problem or the reason they walked away. And this surfaces when we see a child in a Christian family. Now listen, here, there, let, me, let me explain this a little bit better. There's a different way that it's twisted really very deeply. And sometimes we don't even know it's there. It can also, if your children are walking with the Lord, even as they become adults, it can give you a sense of pride that you parented them well. That is because of your parenting that they're walking with the Lord as an adult. And how it surfaces, or how you know that it's in your heart, is when you see a Christian family who has a prodigal child, then your first thought is, what did the parents do wrong? Now that is so slippery, that is so insidious, that is so deeply entwined inside our minds for some of us, but it betrays this formula, right parenting equals how our children will walk with the Lord even when they're adults. So let's be clear, this is just introduction, poor parenting can certainly lend itself to children wanting nothing to do with God. Now let's bring that to the other side. Godly parenting is incredibly influential to a child's view of God. So let's get that right out in the open. How you parent matters. And we're going to learn that throughout the rest of this message. Yet when this verse gets twisted, it creates the false notion that parenting is deterministic. And will either fill the heart with despair or if you flip it to the other extreme, possibly pride. And where is grace then when you have this formula in your theology? Where is faith when you believe that right parenting will determine whether your children walk with the Lord as an adult or not? So with that introduction, we're going to get to the beginning of untwisting this verse. I'm going to give you two points. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to, let me give you a bit of a um, preparation and, and also a bit of an admonition. Pastor Matthew preached on this not too long ago, the same verse, and he did an excellent job with it, 
Uh, what I would encourage you is to go to our website and listen to it. He offers a lot of practical uh, in, instructions and a lot of practical ideas for parents. We're really not going to go that way. I'm going to take it in a little bit different direction, but I encourage you, get on the website, listen to Pastor Matthew's sermon. But what I am going to tell you is that I'm going to give you so much meat in this sermon that you're po there's no way that any of us are going to get this in one take. And all these sermons are on the web. So I'm going to encourage you, you can get on the web, you can download my sermon notes or the audio or the video of this sermon. They should be up by Tuesday. I'm going to encourage you, parents especially, and young people, because I'm going to address you in the second half of this message. Get on there, let's listen to this, let's learn. Here we go, you ready? Number one. This is a discipleship command. Now I know we don't typically think of it like that, that's because we don't understand the book of Proverbs. I'm going, to try, I'm, I'm going to try to straighten that out for us. The book of Proverbs, now listen to this. If you, don't, if you miss this, you're going to miss the entire message. The book of Proverbs was a training manual for two main purposes. Now immediately, that might be new to you. Have you ever considered the book of Proverbs as a discipleship manual? The power of life and death is in the tongue. That's discipleship. That's Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart when you, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. That is discipleship. That's training. This is the greatest discipleship book in the entire Bible. And it was written for two main purposes. And this one might surprise you. One of them, one of the purposes for Proverbs was to prepare young people to serve in the king's courts. This was about preparing young people because they're being groomed, they're being prepared, they're being made ready to serve the king of Israel. Now I want you to take this and apply the gospel to it. This book is about training all of us, not just young people, but all of us to be able to serve our king, Jesus. This is the book of the Bible to prepare us for that. Now listen, if you grab hold of that, this changes entirely the way that you approach the book of Proverbs. This is to help you serve Jesus. Israel's teachers were passionate in their concern to lead their students in the right path. They were training, they were shaping generations of leaders whose obligation was to practice the fundamental virtues of Israel that were revealed in the law. So Proverbs takes the law of God and, and makes it practical so that it can shape your life and prepare you to serve the king. But Proverbs has a second purpose as well. You get to see it 98 times when you read the phrase, my son. It is to help parents be able to instruct their children. Now listen, I'm going to give you one more layer to that. This is absolutely critical. Not just parents. Anybody in the church who ministers and mentors and disciples and trains and invests in young people. So this is about parental instructions and leadership in the church instructions. How do you help young people serve Jesus? How do you help them grow up in wisdom? This is the second reason 
for the book. So what we've got in the book of Proverbs is a very intentional discipleship manual to prepare people to serve Jesus, to help young people find their way to wisdom and maturity. It's a discipleship command. Train up your child in the way he should go. This is a command and it's discipleship. Let's look at the, let's look at the command. The command is train up. It's an imperative in the Hebrew language. It is found four times, train four times in the Hebrew of the Old Testament. Now listen, this is a little freebie. The Old Testament's written or translated from the Hebrew language. The New Testament written or rather translated mainly from Greek, street Greek, Koinonia Greek, not classical Greek, so that everybody can have access to it, and a little bit of Aramaic. So the word train, now we're in the Old Testament, it found four times. Now watch this. Three of the four, Proverbs 22.6 is one of them. The other three, it means dedicate. Now let's get this trickling in your mind. Train up your child. It first, most fundamentally means dedicate. And I'm going to give you a little bit of a nuance of how it evolves, how it changes. But it meant fundamentally to dedicate. Let me give you a synonym to entrust. So dedicate your child. Entrust your child. We're going to see what that means in a moment. When it's taken in verb form like it is here. It includes the idea of narrowing a way or channeling a way, getting it narrower and narrower so that you can guide your child or guide the young person in a specific direction. That's what this means in verb form. So it's to dedicate and to entrust and to narrow so that they can't go to the right, they can't go to the left, they stay on the straight and narrow. But there's another little bit of meaning that I think brings the beauty of this. It means to motivate. In its root form, this word train means to motivate. Now ladies, especially, I think you might, especially moms, appreciate how it was used by the Arabic people. Very related to this word. Ready? Now watch this. They would take dates, they would crush them, and make, the, make it into a jam, and they would rub it on the gums of a newborn baby to increase or get the baby to suck. So this word not only means dedicate, not only means to narrow and channel a child in the right direction, it means to motivate, to encourage, to give a desire or bring a desire about. So it's meant to motivate. It's meant to bring a response that you're looking for. Train up a child has to do with dedicating the boy or girl to God and trusting that child to him and using your own example to produce a desire in them to follow the same path you're on. Now listen, instead of crushing dates and rubbing on the literal gums of a newborn, your life is to produce and motivate that response. So parents and people in the church, as you invest in young people, the way that we live, the way that we speak, the way that we trust God, the way that we love the word of God is meant to bring about in our children, bring about in the young person a similar motivation to do the same. 
power of parenting. You ever heard of Susanna Wesley? Who married Sam, a preacher who could not manage money. They disagreed on almost everything, and Sam would often leave her for long periods of time. Listen to this. They had 19 children, 10 of which survived infancy, nine of which then died. And one of the surviving children was crippled. Another couldn't talk until he was six. And Susanna, the mother, struggled with constant illness. Twice their house burned to the ground. And it was assumed that church people did the burning because they didn't like what her husband Sam preached. He was thrown into debtor's prison. The udders on their cow was, were slit so that they could not be milked. Their dog was killed. Their flax field burned. But Susanna was a godly woman. And she was driven to God in prayer, in the study of his word. And she taught her children that when she had an apron, when she put her apron over her head, she would sit in the corner of their small room, ten children. When her apron was over her head, often two hours a day, she was not to be disturbed. She wasn't asleep. She was praying and studying God's word. Now, you may not know Susanna, but you probably do know two of her ten children, Charles and John Wesley. They were powerhouses for the glory of the Lord. They each said, each of them said, their mom influenced them more than anyone else. The way that their mom lived brought out in them more than anyone a desire to know Christ more deeply. John preached to nearly a million people. While Charles wrote over 9,000 hymns, some of them that we still sing in the church, yet one of her daughters, now listen to this, yet one of her daughters got pregnant out of wedlock, and the man that got her pregnant refused to marry her. Behind the door of Susanna's home was chaos and suffering, and a mother who made the most of Christ and initiated a hunger and her children for God, all underneath her apron. Ephesians 6, 4, which I believe Paul took from Proverbs 22, 6, says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Train up, notice the trajectory, bring them up. As they grow, you continue to train, you dedicate, you narrow the channel, you initiate a response in them through your own example. So that's the command. And we're going to get a little bit deeper. Look at the means. How do you accomplish this? We tend to read each verse in Proverbs. This is how we all do it. How many, how many of you here, and I'll be really honest, how many of you here, when you don't know where else to read in the Bible, maybe you finished a book of the Bible and you, don't, you haven't really decided yet on where you want to go next, how many of you just kind of turn to Proverbs? And read a chapter. A few of us. That tends to be the way a lot of us do our devotions. And there's nothing really wrong with that. Except we tend to, to read each verse in Proverbs in an isolated way. Rather than 
part of an entire training manual for young people. So this is a discipleship manual for young people. I'm going to drill that into your mind. When you read Proverbs, you're reading God's gift to help young people, virtually anybody, but young people learn how to serve their king, learn how to serve Jesus. But when we isolate this, we tend to miss what it means, look at the verse, in the way he should go. Here's the direction. Here's the means. Now, let's all admit this, because we if you've heard sermons on this, you probably have heard what I'm about to tell you, because this is a common way this is translated, that children and teens have different learning styles, and some are visual learners, some are experiential learners, some learn from an auditory means, where they can just sit in a classroom lecture and learn. Some can't sit still in a classroom. Others do well at learning from a book. So the popular, modern understanding of the way he should go in this verse is that parents, you got to get to know your child's learning style, your child's natural bent, personality, and then parent accordingly. That's often how this is understood. Or that you've got a parent according to the stage that your child is in developmentally. So the way, you saw this in the video, the way that you speak about the triune God to a three and four year old is not the, the same way you might speak to a 15 year old. So they would say, then you've got to know your child's developmental age, and then you've got to adjust your parenting to them. That's really what it means when Proverbs says, many think, in the way he should go. Is that really what it means? I'm going to offer a suggestion. It's not. And as helpful as it is to understand your child's learning style and natural bent and spiritual gifts, if they're Christians, and, and personalities, and, and as, as good as it is to adjust parenting to your child's developmental stage, that's, that's all very important. That's not really what this verse is getting at. It's getting at something much different and, I think, much better. Look at the word go. And the way he should go. Now, let's all be in our text. If I were you, I would underline that in your Bible. And I would write this in the margin because this is critical that you remember this. The word in the original has a very interesting meaning. It means mouth. So I'm going to literally translate it. And the way he should go is according to the mouth of the way. That's a literal translation from the Hebrew. So when I say that, that sounds kind of puzzling. Let me give you a metaphor that can help snap that into relatability and understanding. Think of the mouth of a river where a river begins. Now you're getting to where the, the meaning is. So young people are to be dedicated. Young people are to be channeled and guided. Young people are to be encouraged. Now listen. And led to the beginning of the way. What does that mean? Now this is why there are so many different views on this verse. Why it is so puzzling. Now look at me for a moment. And why it is so easy to be twisted. And what I'm trying to do is untwist it. There are two ways that Proverbs gives. Only two. There's not three. There's not one. There's two. You get to see them both all through the book. There is the way of wisdom, which means the path of life that leads to righteousness. Way means path. 
Or there's the way of folly, which is the path of life that leads to wickedness and death. And Proverbs, in this training manual, gives both options all the way through. Chapter 9, in fact, delineates and describes and goes into great detail of each of those. The way of wisdom and the way of folly. And it shows how different they are. Now look at verse 5, just before our verse. And I'm going to show you this. Here's context. Thorns and snares are in the way of the crooked, or the path of the crooked. That's another synonym for the way of the foolish, or the way of folly. Whoever guards his soul will keep far from them. So the program for the training that parents and people in the church are to give to their children or young people, here's the program, it's called the Way of Wisdom. That's the curriculum. That's the discipleship manual. It's the Way of Wisdom, which is revealed through the Word of God. Now listen, parents, if you want to parent and the way your child should go, which means towards the way of wisdom, the path of life that leads to righteousness, if you want to parent that way, you must parent with the training manual. It's got to be the Word of God. The latest scientific and psychological research in parenting is not going to get them to that path. It can illustrate the truth of God, science can, but it cannot provide the transformative power. It's not living and active. It's not God-breathed. If you're parenting without the Word of God, you cannot guide them. You cannot narrow the channel. You cannot entrust and dedicate and initiate in them a desire for the way of wisdom. You will not be able to get them there you must parent with the living word of God it's got to flow out of you it's got to be part of the very fabric of how you speak and how you teach your children this last week Andy had my 10 year old had open house and he and his mom went to the open house and discovered that there's really virtually none of his friends in his classroom this year so on the way home, we went out afterwards, actually. So we're driving around, and Andy's just quiet in the back seat, and I could tell something was wrong with him. I said, Andy, what's wrong? And he told me what had happened and what was going to be this year of doom. And I said, you know what, Andy? Do you know that God is sovereign? Meaning that all things are under his watchful eye and power, and he brings all things according to his purpose. And do you know that God is providential, meaning that he provides everything you need in order to be able to experience him in a wonderful way and be used by him? Now, he's 10 years old. Is he getting the high theology? No. Is he hearing my voice? Yes. Am I planting a seed? Yes. Is it according to the word of God? Yes. I do that too few times, and I don't do it well enough. But that's parenting to the way of wisdom. You bring him vertical. You bring him to God's sovereign, providential plan. He chose that classroom. He chose everybody that's going to be in that class. He has a mission field for my son right there in Forks Elementary School, and he'll help him execute the mission as he learns to understand how awesome and good his God is. There's the way of wisdom, and there's the way of folly. 
and the program for training that Christian parents are to use is the word of God, which will bring our children to the mouth of the way of wisdom. Now listen, when I say the mouth of the way of wisdom, I need you to understand this. Parents, here's the great struggle of parenting. The extent of what we can do is lead them to the mouth of the way of wisdom. You cannot make them walk on that path. You can bring them to it over and over, and we must bring them to it in every situation, in every possible means that is available to us, demonstrating and exemplifying a love for the way of wisdom and how it works in our own lives, and even in honesty, when we get off of that way, and when we repent and come back to it, you can get them to the mouth where it begins, but you can't get them to step foot on it. We're going to talk about that in a moment, which is why parenting requires such faith. The sacred writings Paul wrote to Timothy, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. This is the way of wisdom. How does it work? How does the training manual work? Psalm 119.9. How can a young man keep his way pure? Well, here's the answer. By guarding it according to your word. The word of God is powerfully transformative. The word of God includes or input, puts into your child, puts into us a desire for Jesus. And there's a beautiful picture of this. I don't know if you know sometimes just how beautiful the Old Testament is. It is striking in its allegories and its metaphors and its poetry. I want you to listen. This is God speaking in Isaiah 30, 30, 21. And he writes this, or he says this. And your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. That is God parenting God in action as a father. This is how we parent. We're behind our children, we're narrowing, narrowing we're guiding, we're, we're bringing the channel so that they can go in one direction. And it leads to the mouth, the beginning of the way of wisdom. And behind them, when they begin to veer this way or that way, we're saying, listen, don't veer that way. Destruction waits. There's a warning for you. Get back here where blessings wait. And though we cannot take a child on the path, we could take them to the path, and we can show how beautiful and wonderful the path is. So we are to train up in such a way that our children hear our encouraging voices in their minds. Our training guide is not the way of folly. It is not the wisdom of the world. It is God's way, and our training is the eternal, perfect word of God, and it's seen through godly, loving Parenting. Let me tell you how the Jewish people did it. They were amazing. They built these things called mezuzahs. They were made out of a lot of material. They were hollowed out and they were put on the side of a doorpost. Modern mezuzahs are angled because two rabbis got in a debate whether it should be vertically aligned or horizontal. So to solve the debate, they put it at a 45-degree angle. So if you go to a Jewish, a pious Jewish home today, you will see on the right side of their door a mezuzah in which is put a written parchment of the Shema. And what are, what's written on there in part are these words, Psalm 120, 
verse 8, 121 verse 8. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time and forevermore. See, what they did, now listen, look at me for a moment. Here's what they did in their parenting. They taught their children that when they would leave the home in the morning, they would actually touch the mezuzah and repeat those words and the words of the Shema. And when they came back, they would touch the mezuzah before they walked in the home. They wanted their children and wanted the whole family to be under the word of God, to know that they're going out and they're coming back as all part of the blessings of a sovereign, providential, gracious, good God. And so they created these rituals that are not really in the Bible. They're not commanded to build a mezuzah and put it at an angle on the side of their door. They did it so that they can train their child in the way you should go. I'm wondering if we should be building mezuzah-like traditions. And are you doing that? How do you celebrate Christmas? Do you allow your children to come down whenever they want and drip into the presents and the gifts? Or do you even stop before anybody opens gifts? And do you reflect on the gift, Jesus, given to us by his Father for our eternal blessing? And there's a time of prayer, and yes, your kids will chafe. And yes, they're going to be looking at the wrapped gifts. But that's all right, because you're dropping seeds as you're leading them and channeling them and guiding them and bringing out from their hearts and encouragement and initiation to be motivated to the way of wisdom, to want to step foot on that path where you are a Christian family. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Everything. Well, that's the command. That's the means. But what's the goal? And I want us to look at that. And we're going to be brief because I want to get to the youth. I recently came across a little parenting nugget that I've noticed in my own life. And it goes like this. I once had no children and six theories on child raising. Now I have six children and no theories on child raising. Now, parents, I think you can identify with this, right? Y'all, we all thought we were parenting experts until we had children. And we realized how difficult it is. And the things that we thought we were going to be so good at with our children because we didn't want to be like our parents, well, they're kind of harder than we thought. There's nothing like parenting that can reduce our view of our own wisdom. So we might find it helpful to understand the purpose and the nature of a proverb. What is a proverb? This is a collection of wise sayings called the book of Proverbs. But what is a proverb? It's a simple moral statement or an illustration that highlights and teaches fundamental realities about life. They are short sayings packed with life's teachings. They're able to be memorized easily. That's why they're in stanza form. They're not long. They're couplets of verses so that they could be memorized. And they're not promises. Now, I want you to hear that. They're not promises. That if you do one thing, there's a guarantee as the result. That's not what the book of Proverbs is. That's not even what a proverb is. It's a principle of what will normally happen if you adhere to it in life. Not a promise. It's a principle. 
I'll give you an example from Scripture, and I'll be giving you an example from our own modern sayings. Here's one from modern sayings. An apple a day keeps a doctor away. I know people that are extremely healthy in their diet, and then they get cancer. This is no promise. It is what normally will happen if you exercise normally, if you eat well normally, if you have a healthy lifestyle normally, you're not going to be needing to go to the doctor that much. It's not a promise. It's what normally will happen in life. Here's one from Scripture. Look at verse 11 from our chapter. He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as, as his friend. Well, that's not always going to happen. Now, government officials aren't always going to want to be around you if you're pure of heart and your speech is gracious. It's what will normally happen in life when you live this out, but it's not a guarantee. So, so Proverbs are often safe guides that tell us what usually happen. They are snapshots of life showing the normal outcomes of life. Now, the second part of verse 6 wasn't given as a promise or a guarantee. It's a principle of what normally will happen when you train young people, children, according to the way of wisdom. The goal of the training is this, verse 6. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, sometimes we raise our children with Christian parenting, but they depart from the paths of faith. And it crushes us. I know a lot of parents where this happens. And parents can get angry feeling that God has let them down, that he dropped his end of the bargain. They took this verse as a promise when it was meant to be given as a proverb, as a principle. They depart. The word means they turned aside. What Moses did in Exodus 3.3 when he says, I will turn aside. That's the same word. He departed. To see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. So parents, if I can comfort you with anything, well, maybe this will help. Proverbs 22.6 is not asking you to produce godly Christian children because that's not in your control. You cannot do it. That's not something that God has given you the power to do. What you can do is lead them to the way, the mouth of the way of wisdom. You can show them where the path begins. You can show them how to find the path. You can show them what it looks like to be on the path. You can show them what it looks like to be off the path. On the only other path available, the way of folly. But you cannot make them walk the way of wisdom. So it's encouraging us to dedicate our children to God, teaching them the way of wisdom, letting our example motivate our children to want to walk on that path. But you cannot control the choice of your children as they grow up, yet we can bring them to the mouth of the way. We can breathe into them God's word, yet all the while entrusting your children, giving them back over to your children. Dedication isn't a one-time thing. You can release them back to God. God, you got the power to bring them to the way of wisdom. you got the power to bring their hearts to where they want you, to get the jam on the sole of their gums, so to speak, and get them to want you. That's your power. Let me parent accordingly. 
And if they veer away, they will not be able to silence. Listen, if we can learn Proverbs 22, 6, when your children, if your children veer away from the path of faith and they walk into the world, they cannot shut off your voice because you have spoken it into them their entire lives. You know, one of my favorite songs ever, I'm a rocker, I loved Kansas, probably one of my top five favorite songs, Carry On Wayward Son. Listen to these lyrics, especially as I just told you, godly parents, when you train according to Proverbs 22, 6, they will not be able to shut off your voice. Once I rose above the noise and confusion, just to get a glimpse beyond the illusion, I was soaring ever higher, but I flew too high. Though my eyes could see, I still was a blind man. Though my mind could think, I still was a madman. I hear the voices when I'm dreaming. I can hear them say, carry on, my wayward son, for there'll be peace when you are done. Lay your weary head to rest. Now don't you cry no more. You cannot shut the voice of a godly parent off. You try to mute it. You could try to get a lot of other voices in there, but listen, this is the power of redemptive parenting. They will hear you. They will hear what you have taught them. And this is a verse calling parents to put your faith and trust in God, not in your parenting abilities. Parent well, but your parenting can only lead them to the mouth of the way. Put your faith in God and trust your children to God over and over but it's here that I want to conclude with one more point. And I'm going to speak now to the young people that are here. I want you to hear what I'm going to tell you. And I'm going to set an age. I'm going to set an age of 30 and below. It's, it's a false age. It's an artificial one. But I'm just going to set that. But you, I want us all to listen. But I want you to hear that this verse is a challenge to you. See, most people understand Proverbs 22.6 to be directed to parents. But hopefully by now you understand it's written for parents, but it's written for those in charge of preparing young people to serve Jesus, the king. This is a discipleship manual. But what seems to be overlooked is that Proverbs is a training manual for you, young people. It is directly for you. In fact, I'm going to prove it in chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, and righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Proverbs is for you. Proverbs is for you, young people. You've got to get into this book personally to realize that God, in his sovereign grace, has written an entire book just to help you walk the way of wisdom and learn how to serve Jesus, your king. This is to prepare you for that. And you're often, listen, you are often given a free pass because of your age. But the Bible won't let you have that pass. We won't let you have that pass. It expects great things from you. God expects great things from you. We expect great things from you. And Solomon wrote his Proverbs to help you achieve great things while you walk the way of wisdom. 
Let me prove it to you. Now, young people, listen to this. This is, by the way, and take this very, very carefully, and I hope you take it graciously. The millennial generation is a little bit different from the, the generation that preceded them. They really don't like older people telling them what to do. And honestly, the millennial generation has pulled themselves up to the table to have an equal voice with everybody else, no matter whether they're older and wiser or not. They don't care. They want their voice to matter as much. You've got to have some humility. Get your voice out there, but get it out with humility. Because you don't know everything there is to know. And I'm learning just, a lot, just as well as you. So listen to this as I speak to you some examples from the Bible. Joshua was an assistant to Moses from a young boy. He became the leader of Israel. God expects great things from young people. God called Samuel into ministry when he was just a boy. David was anointed king as a young man, most believe a teen, a mid-teen, middle of the teenage years teen. Josiah, the reformer king, was eight years old when he ruled Israel. God expects great things from you young people, and your age won't give you a pass. He can greatly use you. Daniel, experts say, was a late teen who stood against massive pressure in Babylon to stay true to God. Timothy was a young pastor at the church of Ephesus. Spurgeon, let's leave the Bible, let's get into church history. Not too long ago, Charles Spurgeon preached his first sermon. By the way, he wrote that devotional that Matthew shared with you during the worship service. He preached his first sermon at 15 years old. He pastored at 16 years old. He preached to crowds of 5,000 people in London at 19 years old. Jonathan Edwards mastered Greek and Hebrew, biblical language, languages, by 13 years old. Billy Graham began preaching at 19, preached to over 90 million people in his life. God can use you, young people. You've got to get on the way of wisdom. And realize it. So let me encourage you with three super quick points. This is for young people. First of all, listen to me, please. I've learned this the hard way. I experientially know this one fundamentally to the depths of my soul. Who you make your closest friends will influence which path you walk. He who will be, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companions of fools will suffer harm. That's a proverb. It was written to warn young people. Listen, make your friends godly friends. Make your closest friends people that walk the way of wisdom, know how to walk it, and will encourage you to walk it. Point number two, how you listen to your parents will influence which path you walk. You have a heart that despises your parents, meaning you disregard it. You bring it down to little weight in your life. Or do you have a, a heart that says, you know what, I don't always agree with them, but maybe God is using them because that's kind of what he does with parents. Hear, my son, your father's instructions, and forsake not your mother's teachings, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. That's a proverb. This is Solomon saying, listen, you've got to have an indelible heart. You've got to have a heart that receives from your parents. And number three, 
what your attitude is toward God's, towards God's word will influence which path you walk. Young people, will you look at me for just a moment? This is so, so important, and I'm almost done. You can learn to love God's word. You must learn to love God's word. It is the means by which God has shown you who he is and what he is like. It is God's means as the great potter to shape you and to make you who he wants you to be. It is the way that God transforms your life and opens your eyes and gives you the power to overcome sin and gives you the desires to say no to the world and yes to Christ. This is the power that you're forfeiting if you don't love his word. And without exception, if you haven't heard anything in this last point, but what I'm about to tell you, then this is where you can get it. Without exception, every single person who has done great things for God has loved and trusted his word. There is no exception. To learn to serve your king, Jesus Christ, watch him use you for great things in his kingdom. Parents, Train, dedicate, and trust your children to the way of wisdom. You're going to get them to the mouth. You've got to trust God to do it the rest of the way. Teach them. Connect life to Christ. Teach them the way of righteousness. Let them see your own example as an encouragement. And for all of us in the church, Proverbs is the most excellent discipleship training guide you will ever see in the Bible. Let's live it with our young people. Amen? Let's pray.